I wanted to talk about a couple of things um, about we worship when. when. When these things happen, true worship begins. So I have a lot of Bible scripture, but I also have them um, in your packets. There is a study guide by the same title, We Worship When. So I just, I'm going to jump on in. And I love using a lot of Bible. Matt asked me for the Bible scriptures so that, you know, they could follow along back there with the screen and all, but I bet he was just like, never mind. Because um, I just feel like, you know, God's words are powerful. God's words are alive and active. God's words will not return void. They will accomplish what he sent those things forth to do. So I just want to surround everything that I say with God's word so that it just sticks in our hearts and it changes us. So the very first one is we worship when we realize who God is. We worship when we realize who God is because God is so big. And sometimes we get focused on our problems and we think the problem is so big. And I mean, legitimately so. We face hard things sometimes, but they pale in comparison to our God, who is almighty and everything. So we worship when we realize who God is. And Nehemiah 9.6 says this, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. So the first thing that God is, is our creator. And we can obviously know that if God created us, he knows what is best for us. And the things that God puts in his words, the, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, you know, they're not there to ruin our fun. They're there because he knows the best way for us to live because he is our creator. We are the clay. He is the potter. I've been saying that backwards all week, and I was just praying that I wouldn't. When I got here, so Holy Spirit is here. We know that. So number one, he is our creator. Oh, I just said my next one, y'all. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. So the first thing in this verse that he is, is our Heavenly Father. So not only is he our creator, and he knows what is best for us, but he is our Father, and he loves us, and we are his children and he wants us to walk in the way that leads to life and peace, not the way that leads to, like, bitterness and grudges and girl drama, because girls have it. I mean, guys sort of do, but come on. Some girls I know are just, they don't have a lot of friends, but they did that on purpose. So that happens. Anyways, he is our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. He is our potter. He made us. Creator, I know I'm double saying that, but hey, I was using this verse for Father, and y'all just got a bonus. He's also a potter. And we are all the work of your hand. So I'm just going to, I mean, y'all y'all see your, your um, spaces that we have to fill in. God is so many things, and I barely scratched the surface, but I just crammed every last one in there that I could so that when you are praying and when you are in a battle, you realize you know, yeah, we just sang that God fights our battles, but you realize he can, and he will win, and he will be victorious, because he is our creator, he is our father, he is our potter. This is so good. 
1 John 4.14 says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. He is our Savior. Well, you know, some ladies always long for that knight in shining armor and this guy to come in riding on a white horse and all. And God may send you that and he may not. I don't know how many of y'all are married and, and how many aren't, but he may or may not send you the man to be your dream boat for the rest of your life here on earth. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus is your dream boat for all eternity, okay? He comes in riding on the white horse. He's got the crown. He's, he's everything that you will ever need. And if you are not married and you are still single and you're searching for that man, fall in love with Jesus, and it won't matter if he comes along or if he don't, but if he does, he will be the right guy for you. So he is our Savior. And that other stuff was free. I didn't even know I was going to say it. So... John 16, 13 says this, the next two things that he is. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He is our truth, and he is our guide. And this just gets better and better, I promise y'all, as we keep on rolling this stuff out. I don't... um. Some people say you should stand in front of a mirror and uh, practice what you're going to say. I, get, I laugh at myself a lot, and I think that's kind of goofy. But, I mean, it works for some people. I'm not dissing it, so meh. I don't. But I was, I was going through these things because, you know, you've got to kind of know what you're going to say, especially if you're flying to Tennessee from Panama City to do it. Um, but I just started reading all these things that he is, and then I threw in this one last verse because I just wanted to hit as many as I could. So, y'all look at Psalms 18, 1 and 2. This one's loaded. I love this one. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That is the biggest run-on sentence I've ever heard in my life. But if I was going to put it in there and I just wanted people to know, that is totally how I would do it. Because he is everything. And you could say everything, but it's just not as shock value like, woo, like this. So um, I just put a lot of lines there. And you guys can, um, you know, you could just probably just go by the reference and look that up when you get home. Because that one's loaded. I'm just going to read it one more time because I like saying all that stuff. And when we're going through a hard time, I'll be driving in my car, y'all, and some of the best prayer times I have is in my car because, you know, the people beside you assume you might be singing along with the radio and no one's in your car, but you're just, I, I'm just praying out loud. Like, God is in my passenger seat, we're being friends, and I'm just telling him stuff. And I just, you know, you can say, you are my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He said it again, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You start naming that stuff out loud and see if the enemy don't just flee and things don't get thick up in your car. You know, when you're singing, Jesus, take the wheel because your eyes are all cloudy and you just need them to, okay? He's so good. Those are just a few of the things he is. You can go through the Bible and I promise you just, if you're going to make a list, you could add something every day for a year and you probably still wouldn't get it all. So, when we realize who God is, we can get our worship on. Am I right? He's so good, and he is so many things. The second thing is, we worship when? 
we realize who we are. Because God is amazing, and God is our Father, and He is our Savior, and He is all these things, but we need to know who we are sometimes. Because I said it over there. I didn't mean to. I was going to save that verse for when I was over here, but the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. There is a verse in the Bible that says that, and we forget it. And I think sometimes the enemy wants us to forget it. Sometimes he might still kill and destroy, you know, steal it out of our mind. Because that was some serious power. And when God's Spirit is in us, that power is in us, and He has overcome, so we overcome. It's just that we have to believe that we do, and that is faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So we need to trust in Him. 1 Peter 2.9, the first part. I'm going to get to the second part in a minute. I'm not just cutting off Scripture and being weird. This is important. So 1 Peter 2.9a says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God chose us. We are a royal priesthood. We, oh, gee whiz, we are a holy nation. We are people for his own possession. You know, when, when the enemy's fighting and when we're having a bad day or we're going through a hard time in life or a hard circumstance, God showed me this one day. You know, if you have something you go through and God brings you through it, it was hard and you didn't like it, and say it comes up again, you have a tendency to want to like run from that thing or cower from that thing. And I just had this mental picture in my mind when I was praying to the Lord one day that I was just, you know, in a corner. I I could just picture myself in a corner and just the enemy just right there blocking me and laughing at me. And I was just feeling so beat down because I'm like, I am tired. I can't do this anymore. I'm scared. I want this to be over. God, make it go away. And in my mind, I'm just cowering in this corner and I'm praying this to him. And I can just feel the enemy just winning, you know. God said, you're in a prison that the door is wide open. And when you stand up and walk out, he has to move. Get up. You're a chosen priesthood, a royal nation, a chosen people. I'm saying this all wrong because I'm so excited. A people for his own possession. God set us free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're always free. The only way you're not free is if you pick the chains up that God took off of you and you put them back on. But when you realize who you are in Christ and you realize who he is, you know, you get up out of that corner, you get your worship on, and he's got to let you go. Satan has no hold on a child of God. We are free in him. So um, that gets me excited, and it makes me want to worship. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his special appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God it does not just set us free so we can feel good. And God does not just set us free so we realize the power that we have in him. And we could just go around being like, I got the power. You know, that is not even the reason. God set us free so that we can become his ambassadors and we go and tell the rest of the world, we know where you can find freedom. We know where you can find hope. That we implore people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I just want to say this. We have a ministry and a purpose of reconciliation, bringing people face-to-face with God through sharing the gospel. So he sets us free, but he has a reason for setting us free. It's because we are his ambassadors, and this is not original. And I don't have a problem telling y'all, you know what? I hear good stuff, and I just share it because it's good, and people need to know. This is not original right here, what I'm fixing to say. Ambassadors for Christ. I did not know about, um, oh, it's not, it's not the word ambassador. Um, but here's, I told myself I wasn't going to forget it, and I didn't need to write it down. But um, anyways, here's how it goes. Say I'm an ambassador to the United States, or from the United States to Japan. I go to Japan, but because I'm an ambassador from the United States, everywhere I step in Japan is like I'm walking in the United States. It's blah, blah, something immunity. Y'all can Google it if you want to. Um, But it's basically like that. It's like I am an ambassador from the United States, so when I go to Japan, everywhere I am is like the United States. And where I am, the laws of the country I'm from apply where I am. So I've read this verse forever, Ambassadors for Christ, and I'm like, pretty sweet. But this guy threw this verse out in one of the sermons he was preaching. I was watching him online, and he said, Think about that, because the laws of the country you're from, because this is not our home, y'all. We are just pilgrims and sojourners in this place. We are just passing through. We're ambassadors for Christ, and everywhere we are, the laws of the country we're from apply in that place. If God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, when we meet someone and God's brought us in contact with them, right there, we're an ambassador for Christ, and the laws from our country apply. If we're walking close with God and he's saying, you go talk to that person, you go say this to them, you're going to do what he said, and the Bible says, even greater things than these shall ye do. Jesus did great things, but he left us with a promise. Even greater things than that we were going to do. I want to live in that. I want to experience that. I want God to just say, you know what? Go here, and I don't ask questions, and I don't ask why, and I'm not like, I hope I don't see anyone I know because I don't have on makeup or something shallow. But that's what we do, ain't it? We are ambassadors for Christ. We have a purpose. When we get up and go where he sends us, amazing things happen. And before I come off of the realize who we are, I just want to throw this one in there, which is not in my Bible verses like I didn't already have enough. But Psalms 139.14, I think a lot of us will recognize this. It says, I praise you. He's saying this to God. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God makes no mistakes. And you may feel like God is calling you to do something that is above you or, or you don't fit the mold of that. I knew early on, actually before my husband felt the call of God on his life to preach, I knew I was supposed to be a pastor's wife. But I didn't want to tell him that and scare him because I really wanted to marry him, you know. So I was like, listen, if God has called me to do this, he's going to be a preacher. I'm just going to rest it, you know, put it in God's hands. But my mom, uh, my dad is a pastor, and my husband's dad is a pastor. So I have two really great mentors to look up to in my life, my mother and my mother-in-law. And they are, like, so sweet and so spiritual. And they're not, I mean, my mom's kind of funny, 
but she, you know, she can be serious when she needs to be, and they're real poised and, like, you know, smooth. They know what to say. They have compassion. Y'all, I took a spiritual gifts test, and, I mean, I love God's church and stuff, but I have taken, like, three or four, and my compassion is the lowest in our church. I love people, but I just don't really have time for whining. I mean, I want people to get free. Like, I want you to, like, you know, come out. Like, if you have a problem, I'll pray for you about it. But if you have that same problem a year later, I'm going to be like, I can't help you anymore. (laughs) Only Jesus can help you, you know? So when I knew God was calling me to be a pastor's wife, and I know, like, I know me, and I know them, they, like, they can cook. I I think pastor's wives should. I mean, Amy, you, you, you can cook. Your stuff comes out, you know, different than you imagine, but it tastes good. <laughs> and I don't have that. So I'm like, I can't cook. I'm not real smooth. I'm kind of weird. I like dorky stuff. I'm, I'm a dork. I'm okay with that, though. Like, you know, I like Star Wars. I really like Lisa Frank stuff. I really like, you know, unicorns and stuff. And I brought something just as a visual because When I knew God was calling me to be a pastor's wife, this is what I love. And I'm like, Lord, I can't be a pastor's wife. I don't even know. I really like unicorns. How am I even going to tie that in with any sermon I ever have? And when can I ever wear this? You know? But you got to realize, like, who you are in Christ. God, I am wonderfully made. I'm unique, and some people are a little scared. But I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And it's like when your purpose, when, you, when your purpose meets your personality, and that is surrendered to God, you step into this calling, and it happens in a way it's not like the people you think you're supposed to be like. It's very freeing because it is totally you, and God's doing great things, and you're like, so you made me like this, and it works. It works. I, who even knew? So we can worship God when we know who we are, what we were called to do, what our purpose is, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just how you are, God's calling you to do the thing that he has for you to do, which is above you. Um, by the way, I never used to speak, um, ever. And I used to sing sort of. But it was kind of like this. Holy Spirit. And then I was done. I mean, in the shower, it was great. At church, it was like something grabbed onto my throat, and I was sweaty under my armpits, everything sweating, you know. You stand and kind of like this. <laughs> um, but when your purpose meets your personality and those things are surrendered to Christ... He's going to do great things with it. And if, he, if, if you feel like what he's called you to do, like, I got a pretty good handle on that. I can probably do this. Okay, that's not it. God's always calling you out to something greater, something above you, because he wants you to depend on his Holy Spirit in you to accomplish that thing. So if you're thinking, like, I'm rolling in this nice, and you're not on your face before God saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me with this. That's not where you're supposed to be. So y'all need to pray about that again. Okay. Now, by the way, I always thought I was going to be a traveling singer. I mean, I'd sung like that, but I thought eventually I'd get over it, you know, when I got the cool bus and everything. But it's not how it went. Okay. Now, the third thing 
we realize, or we worship when we realize our purpose, which I kind of jumped ahead on a little. But this is 1 Peter 2, 9b. This is the second part. When we realize our purpose, and it is this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Um, immediately thought of the song Marvelous Light because, you know, have you ever, like, heard a song and it's really awesome, and then you're reading in the Bible and you're like, that's where they got that. That is totally this verse. I mean, okay, sorry, that happened. But that is our purpose. We're just going to proclaim how excellent God is. Like, I was in darkness. He brought me into light. I was bound up. He set me free. God is amazing. There's no room, really, for being nervous when you are not self-conscious. Like, I am just a vessel. God is the potter. I am the clay. This is not about me, you know? Because if I'm looking and comparing myself to other people, I would be like, Lord, if you... I can't share that part. Okay? But God said, share it. So I did, and it's not about me. It is just me coming to say, okay, I was like this, and I could not do anything on my own. I was so nervous, so self-conscious, so timid. And God said, do something, and step by step, you know, I'm glad he don't lay it all in our lap at once. Because if he said, you're going to wind up starting a church from nothing... With your husband, I would have been like, "Mm mm-mm, got the wrong girl. But he just takes us one step at a time, you know? And then all of a sudden, you're just taking these steps, and you turn around, and you're like, he brought me a mighty long way. And you can't be like, look how far I've come. My um, self-indulgence and my pride and my haughtiness, like, I was right here, but look where I'm at now. And give, like, self-empowerment speeches. You can't because you're like, I would have never went this way. I would have never taken those steps. And so you just stand up here. Okay, this is me. I'm saying you, but this is me. I'm just standing here saying, God can do anything if you cooperate with him. Because he's not going to force you into anything. But he wants to give you life and life more abundantly. He called Saul out of a life of literally persecuting and killing Christians to becoming Paul, writing a big old chunk of the New Testament, leading so many people to the Lord. I mean, I don't even, what? He went from a mighty long way. He went from Saul to Paul and did amazing things. You're never too far gone. The callings of God are without repentance. Like, he's not going to take it back. You're going down the road and you feel like, oh, well, I'm already this age. You're already made this decision. God is one right decision from being right there by your side. It's not a big old long journey back like we make ourselves feel. You know, like we do something wrong or we're living in sin for a while and we think, you know, I got to feel this guilt good before I can come back to God. And then when I get good and low and um, super guilty, then I can start this long long walk back up the mountain to the Lord. And maybe one day if I'm good enough, I'll get back. That is so anti-Bible. Because God said, when we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guilt, that kind of just guilt that doesn't ever let up, that comes straight from Satan, okay? God will convict our heart for the purpose of reconciliation. He will put conviction on us so that we get it right, 
so that we don't want to live that way anymore. But when we have repented, then it's not on there anymore. God, if God can remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, who are we to hang on to it? Jesus died on the cross to take our sins away. And if we are going to live the way he meant for us to live life and life more abundantly, we got to let that stuff go. That's the chains we put back on ourselves. That wasn't in my notes either, but let's just carry on. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Oh, that goes with this, though. God is so good. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I forgot that I had that one. (laughs) That is so true, but I already just expounded on that before I said this verse. So we'll just keep on plugging through. But I, do, I want you to know, though, it's the ministry of reconciliation. And yes, in this verse, it is talking about reconciling people to God. But God values unity. And God's spirit will not just come all up in disunity and discord and bitterness. And unity is something that you have to strive for. Offense is something that we got to lay down at the feet of God. Because it seems like nowadays, I might be wrong, but I feel like this. Nowadays, more than ever, people are offended like a lot. And it's just that spirit of offense. And it just hangs around and it makes everything bitter. And God, I mean, if anyone had a reason to be offended, to take offense, and to call the angels from heaven and get off the cross and go back up to where he came from, it was Jesus. If he forgave us every sin we have ever committed and every sin we ever will, who are we to hold a grudge? And who are we when someone else is also imperfect because so am I? Who am I to, like, get offended at you when I'm fixing to do something stupid probably tomorrow? God wants us to be unified, to choose unity. And it is not easy, but it is so worth it. Because God's spirit operates when unity is present. And when bitterness springs up like a little root, the Bible says by that little root of bitterness, it defiles many. We need to lay those offenses at the foot of the cross, and we need to let that go. And if you can't, there's a Bible verse for that too. The Bible says, you know, if your brother has offended you, you need to go to that person and you need to get it resolved. And don't try to pray with that spirit of offense because those prayers hit the ceiling. So, we worship when, I'm just going to recap real quick, we realize who God is, we realize who we are, we realize our purpose, and this one I love, we realize where our strength comes from. And I know y'all know the answer that's like, duh, Christy, I don't even know why you put that in there. I put it in there just because I wanted to tell y'all these verses and give you this encouragement. Because I love these. We worship when, this is the last one, we worship when we realize where our strength comes from. And we know it. We know where our strength comes from. But some days we don't live like we know it. 
we live like our strength comes from us. And my husband preached a message a few months ago about the difference between a lampstand and a candlestick. He was teaching on the tabernacle. And you know, inside God's tabernacle, there is a lampstand. And they kept it oiled, you know, and look, I don't really know how these work. And he did put a picture on the screen, but it kind of went over my head a little bit, how it worked, okay? There is a lampstand in the tabernacle. There was when they had one. And they kept it oiled, and they just kept wicks, you know, and you just keep cutting the wicks, and the, the lampstand burns all the time as long as you keep oil in there. But a candlestick, you know, it burns down and it burns out. And he made, the, he made this analogy that too many times we act like we're candlesticks, and we are burning ourselves. We are burning out. When God never called us to be a candlestick, he called us to be a lampstand because in the Bible, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And like the stuff in the tabernacle, it's about Jesus and stuff from the New Testament too. My husband's so smart. I mean, I've tried to sit on the front row and be all dignified like pastor's wives should already know and not be surprised. But sometimes I'm just like, that's so good. Um, so anyways, that was that because you, you know, how many women face burnout because we aren't letting the Holy Spirit, um, burn in our lives. And you know, it is like a fire in our heart of excitement, not like fire of being burned out. We need to be a candle, not, no, we do not, (laughs) we do not need to be a candlestick. We need to be a lampstand. So Philippians 4.13 says this, and y'all know this. But I just wanted to say it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm going to keep on reading through these. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When we're running on burnout or we're overloaded or we're just stressed to the max, it's a dead giveaway that we are not drawing our strength from God. And we need to come back to the Lord. It's not something you're going to do once. And just, you know, be fine with. Especially, I think, as women. Because we are just worrying people. And we try to be strong in our own strength all the time. And we're like, you know, my husband depends on me. And my kids depends on me. And i got to have my work just right. And i got to clean this whole house and all this stuff. But it doesn't depend on us. It is through the Lord's strength that we accomplish those things that he has called us to. Okay, here's one more thing. That he has called us to. How many people get involved in things that are good, but it may not be God's perfect will for your life. Good things can drown you. We have to lay our plans out before the Lord and say, God, what have you called me to do? And what am I just doing because it's kind of fun, or I feel pressured into doing it, or what am I going to do if no one can take the spot? Okay, that is God's thing to deal with. And you never know that you might not be in a place begrudgingly that God is preparing someone else to take, that it's actually their gift and they love it. We have to lay our petitions out before the Lord and say, show me what I should be doing and what I should not, and give me the grace to let go of the things that I shouldn't. Because that is where we're going to live in that freedom that Christ gave us. If you're hammering out every single day and it's too much all the time, you're either not uh, doing it in the spirit of the Lord, and you need to, or you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing too much. So, 
2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10 says this, and I love this one. I'm not going to cry about this. Y'all read it a lot. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We can't walk around like we got it all together, putting on a good face and falling apart on the inside. We should be going around saying, you know what? I am a wuss, but God makes me really strong. I'm not even lying, you guys. I can't take much. I can't bear much. My load can't get heavy. I'm kind of weak. But it makes me rely on God. I'm constantly bringing my stuff to him and being like, Lord, what have I took on that I did myself? What do I need to let go of? I have a, a struggle on and off with anxiety. And the way I know that I'm like going, how I'm supposed to be going is, I can take deep breaths. When I start having heart palpitations, I can't breathe and I'm getting all weird and cranky on everyone. It's like a dead giveaway. And I used to hate that. I used to be like, Lord, make me strong like so-and-so, you know, whatever. And every time I would pray that, this verse came up, my grace is sufficient for you. Because for me, I mean, God needs me tracking real close. Apparently, he loved me a lot because he wants me tracking just right there. And something gets off, and my sister's here. She can vouch for this. Something gets off in my life, and it is wickety-wickety-whack. I have got to stay close to the Lord. But I used to be embarrassed of that and try to hide it and try to appear stronger than I was. And, like, I didn't want... I didn't want people to think I had it all together so they thought I was awesome. But I'm like, you know, God's put this calling on my life. I want to look like I'm carrying it with dignity, you know, like I'm doing good. Um, But I think that God uses people the most that are the most transparent. And I don't mean going around telling people your problems all the time and no one wants to see you coming. But I'm just saying being honest, like, you know, yeah, I'm, I am the pastor's wife, but I struggle too. And that one person that corners me every Sunday, I don't like them. I don't like it. But I have learned more from situations like that. Like, I'm like, man, they're so needy. And then God's like, you're so needy too. And he's teaching me, like, grace and the, the long-suffering and the patience and self-control. I mean, I may roll my eyes. Not at the person, but when I get in the car and God's like, Mm-mm, you can't even do that. You're being a hypocrite because you know that you are always telling me your problems. Sometimes people need someone to talk to. And sometimes the people that seem the neediest are the ones that are just right there on the verge of breakthrough. And if we just hang on, like I'm starting to cry because I'm thinking of one and she's awesome now. <laughs> um, but like they're right there and then God's going to do something great in their life and he's trying to use us to get through to them and we're trying to avoid them. But sometimes they catch you and you think you've been had, but you know what, God, those divine appointments, some of them you're like shouting and some of them you're like, but we need to be led by the spirit and go wherever he tells us to go. Oh, this verse is in here too. Okay, Romans eight eleven says this. 
just so y'all know, this is the third time, so God must really, really want to nail this verse in, into everyone's mind. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We can take on so much more than we think, but not in our own strength, in the power of Christ. And this is our very last verse, which I also said this one. I say it all the time because I have to remind myself of it. But 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We cannot get into the mode of God places a call in our life or a direction in our life, and we get all excited. We may even tell our church, you know, like, God's calling me to worship ministry. Woo! And then be like, okay, God, I'm good. And now let me just make a plan for how I'm going to do this worship ministry or how I'm going to help the kids or how I'm going to be a missionary or whatever he's calling you to do. Like he gives us the call, but then we think it's on us to do it. And this verse reminds me, and I say it a lot, faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. We can rest in him at every part of our lives. God wants us to remember who he is, who we are, what our calling is, and where our strength comes from. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, and so I just want to throw out this one last thought, and it says this. How can we know these things? God's word is loaded, but his word is the only way we're going to know. So if we never pick up the Bible and we never spend time with him, we are going to live a life of defeat when victory is there for the taking. We just don't know it because we haven't read about it and we don't claim the promises God has in his word. We don't lean on him for our strength. To know the Bible is to know the way to truth, life, peace, joy, strength, direction, and so much more. I wanted to do run on sentence like, like David did in Psalms. That's my closer, y'all, because to know God is to know all of those things, but we will never know it if we do not open his word. And when we do, y'all, our worship will get on. You can't help it. You get excited. I do my Bible time in my bedroom with my door shut because I don't want to scare any of my family members. Should God say something awesome and I can respond and nobody thinks I'm crazy. My husband's fine with it, but my kids are still like, God is good. God is faithful. So y'all, let's just close in prayer, and I'm going to turn it back over to Amy. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. I thank you for your salvation, your love, and your grace. Lord, I thank you for everything you are and that you choose to live inside us, Lord, and make us able to do things that we never thought we could, all for your honor and all for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just let your word sink into our hearts and our lives this weekend, God, because I know that when it does, it will change us forever. I love you, and I thank you for this time. I thank you for each and every lady who has come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.